Well, now this is the golden age. The this silver is, age. Golden age. In the silver <laughs> age of the film show, ye had all seen everything. You were all going to the screen. No, 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 no. He because he was a lazy old shite. He wouldn't bother us all. <laughs> he, the odd time he did, the odd time he did, he would really like lay it on. He was like, "I went to see this film, and I'll fucking tell well, you." Brian, all I'm going to stop you right there because I've seen Joker <laughs> roughly around the same time as you have. And finally, like them I'm not just filling the pants of the kind of everyman doofus who <laughs> might get along to it. But it's mostly just saying that so that I sound like a critic. <laughs> In that way, you're kind of representative of the listener. That's yeah. what he meant. That's what he was saying. He was like, he's yeah. like the audience surrogate. Yeah, no, but it works. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's a nice, fun place to be because low expectations. And uh, I can talk all I <laughs> Did you mean of us or the movies? <laughs> I suppose from you. Both, yeah. yeah Both. You're always Both. pleasantly surprised when I have an opinion. Uh, first, though, movie news. So up first, we've got a Birds of Prey trailer. Harley Quinn, who wants to tell me all about it? Very timely dropping of it, I think, because obviously it's out the same week as Joker. And there have been kind of talks of, will Joker and Batman meet? But no, I hope they don't go down that road. I just don't think it'll work. Um, I thought that this trailer looked fabulous. So it's like all the posters and kind of teasers that they've been given so far have had these kind of really cool neon and candy colors and it just looks like really fabulous and cool and women are kicking ass and it just looks fantastic i mean there's a great cast in there like margot robbie is giving it absolute stocks as harley quinn in there and then you've got rosie perez ewan mcgregor looks like he's giving a pretty interesting performance as black canary actually as well so yeah no black mask black mask sorry black mask Black Black mask. mask. sorry canary's another character yeah black canary is the other um is the is the character that uh, I forget the lady's name. Mm. She's it's Huntress and then Black Canary. Yeah. Huntress is played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, mm-hmm. and Black Canary is played by another lady whose name I can't remember. So Brilliant. cool. So this is what kind of like a all female Suicide Squad. They she was clearly like the standout part of Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Definitely was this greenlit like the week after. I don't know if it was quite the week after. I mean, there had been talks for a few DC movies. Like at one point, there was going to be a Harley Quinn and Joker one, and that they just scratch that out completely is jared leto rolling in his solid gold yet still alive grave right now i think so yeah i think he's more or less kind of done and to be fair i that's no bad thing because Mm -hmm. he was fucking terrible i don't think the editing helped though we have discussed this this is fair yeah we have this is fair like he maybe the editing of the film let him down somewhat Mm -hmm. but personally i just hated him like everything (laughs) about everything about that picture of him holding his head like this <laughs> and damage written on his forehead. I was just like... I can see what they were going for. I can not see what they're going for. See, that's it. I totally get what Trendy they were going for. reimagining of sick yeah. and twisted is how one of my friends described it. <laughs> and like, what was it? Like someone said, hot topic, uh, hot topic Joker. <laughs> and, you know, like... That's pretty accurate. Yeah, and I mean, like, who fucking... Like, oh, no! The like, Joker you'd see hanging around upstairs in Stevens Green. In Asher, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's big into good Charlotte. Ooh. He wants to know if you can buy skins for him. 
Did you actually contrast with this is Asha, Joaquin. right? Asha, yeah, yeah dude. I shop there as well. Did you? Major. Yeah, yeah. Really? I used to get the um, badges. I bought all the badges and I. Oh stuck my them god, on, like, that my is amazing! Badge. I guess Jack Skellington. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Bob Marley? No, no, <laughs> no. You wouldn't have it any of the no, weird just stuff. Like, just like ones with like cool phrases that made me feel like a rowdy teen. Like shit happens. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Nice. When, when God created man, she was only joking. You know, did stuff you like that. ever buy uh, your de- like? Did you buy your Deb's dress in there? Do you remember they had those like no! weird ones? Are you doing? They sell all those ponchos yeah. for like. Yeah, crusties. I never, I never bought any of the clothes there because they were ridiculously overpriced. They were, they were so ridiculously overpriced. But like, I bought like a Metallica hoodie from oh, there. Exactly, Nirvana patch. Do you know what you can't get anymore? A good full length door poster <laughs> with something useless on it, like like a piece of poo with a Rasta hat. On I there. think, yeah. I think the Tower Records still sell the posters. I'm not sure about the full. Yeah, because like you used to. <laughs> but you remember you used to be able to get like ones of like Mr. Hanky Pants, like full length door size exactly posters, like- or like the one of um, uh, Cartman when he was dressed up as Officer Barbrady. Like you used to be able to get those ones, like respect my authority. That's exactly it. For about eight years, I had one on my door that was just like keep out, black and yellow, and it was yeah. like maybe like explicit lyrics logo at the bottom. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> I had stay out of here unless you're crazy. I the one I had was was and this is just so fucking nerdy. Uh, <laughs> was uh, film quotes. It was all film quotes. It was all oh. basically it was a post, It was a poster oh, full of film quotes, and then down at the bottom was which film was, and I used to be able to know which one was. And was it all the lads from Pulp Fiction? Oh yeah, gee, oh, like absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah, I had the Pulp Fiction poster as well. Yeah, of course. Everyone, every fucking college house. Across the nation of Ireland, had one poster yeah. of Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta. Like I 2005, the one. I, yeah, yeah 2005. The one I saw very uh, frequently at the time, although this might have been a few years later, was the 300 poster. It's also very popular. Yeah, maybe it's the Reds, the Reds and the. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, but I definitely, definitely the Pulp Fiction poster. Like uh, the amount of like NUIG, NUIM, 2005, yeah. 2004. That poster was fucking everywhere. They just like handed, like when you went in for orientation, they just gave you that poster. That was literally and that's part literally of it, what it yeah. was. Yeah. Sick and twisted. So are we looking forward to Birds of Prey, I suppose? Yeah. No, genuinely, it is funny we were talking about Asha because they should do some kind of tie in because those, yeah, but they are of one mind. Oh, yeah. They are of the same kind of sensibility. You know, there is something kind of nouveau goth you know what? about never, Birds of Prey. You know? I never joined the dots between that. It's like yeah. that's the aim of the audience. Yeah. yeah. Nouveau goth, yeah. The other half of GameStop. Yeah. There wow. you go. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could work, I guess. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's all very, um, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do with Birds of Prey and the fact that they're, they're trying to create, like, you know, a female-centric uh, superhero film, mm-hmm. but without any of the kind of the complications that come. It, it's, a, it's a really interesting take on it. I, I just think stylization-wise, it looks It looks so the part. Cool. Yes. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that they got, um, what's his face, our pal David Leach. Or not David Leach, Chad Stileski, one of the John Wick dudes, mm-hmm. anyway, to choreograph the action sequences. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You already have me fucking signed up right there. So. You know what I would like, though, right? Mm. And this is going to lead into the Joker review. But say that's like an anti-superhero movie. You know, it's very much. I would love if you had Marvel who make their films and then DC said they were only going to make films like Joker. 
where they just like only make art house like legit. I suppose they wouldn't make any money, but but no, we'll get into this in the review. We will get into this. All right, in let's the move review. on to Michael Bay. Oh, God, <laughs> this fucking trailer. Right? I I didn't even know what was happening in it. I just knew there was a lot of action and more explosives than I've seen in a trailer in a long time. It's so like, but it looks what, like so six, much fun. Six it's underground. Six underground. Now, when I say this film looks like a fake film that would be made for a really high budget SNL sketch with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you were to say, oh, SNL basically got a hundred million euro budget to make a, a sketch about Michael Bay films. This would be the trailer that they would create from it. Like it looks so stupid. Yes. It, like, I mean, and I give, I, I swear to God, I give credit to Michael Bay because there are very few directors working today in the realm of action cinema who the minute you could watch literally 10 seconds of a film and you automatically know who you're watching. You know that kind of way? It's like, Bayhem. It's, that's it. But that's it. But that's it. That's it. It's, it's it is, got a really distinct brand and it's like he's trying to one-up himself every time. Every time. And I again, I appreciate that because so often directors are literally just kind of like ratcheting up the same thing again and again. Every fucking film, Michael Bay goes out and he's like, I am going to put more explosions, yes. more product placement. I'm going to put more stupid shit in this film than I did the last <laughs> time. Just you fucking watch me. And that's exactly what he does. And, you know, like the actual, it's easy for us to sit around this table and be like, oh, fucking Michael Bay is so stupid. <laughs> but like the actual logistics mm. and planning that yes. goes into that, the actual technical you know, absolutely. Construction. Do you know what I'm going to reference, right? I've, I've said it before on this podcast, but uh, that YouTube channel, Every Frame of Painting. Yes. Yeah. They Tony did one on Zou, him. He has a video essay on Michael Bay and describing what Bayhem is. And the more you watch it, it's like, okay, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but what he's doing, the, the technical prowess, the, mm-hmm. the camera move, like the excessive camera movements that he's putting to work are like, should be trademarked. Like, yeah. he's so silly. Yeah. And I think he's come out before and said, like, I make movies for teenage boys. Shoot me. Like, yeah, he's like very unapologetic about it. And not only that as well, but like his background is in advertising. Mm-hmm. So his literal thing is, is, you know, set up, pay off, set up, pay off, set up, pay off, set up, yeah. pay off. That's exactly it. Yeah. And it's that thing of like constant, um, what's the word? Uh, instant gratification. It's, uh, it's got to be immediate. It's got to be right now. You can't fucking wait. Got to have it yeah. right now kind of thing. He's the Coca-Cola. I am looking forward to this because I mean, you know, like you guys have said, he has kind of developed his own aesthetic and this is him coming back to the director's chair in so long. And I mean, I think the writers behind this are the same guys that did Deadpool right, 2, Paul right? Warnock. Yeah, and you've got Ryan Reynolds who's just always a great charismatic leading man. I think it's a straight to Netflix movie as well, if I'm which not wrong. Right. Yeah, which is a funny one because you would think like, you know, given his yeah. effects and everything, you'd want it on the big screen it's but I'm a big coup for them again yeah mm. but I'm interested to see how it does on Netflix yeah. because the whole thing about Michael Bay is that he is kind of appealing to you know the everyman who just wants to go to the <laughs> like movies <me. laughs> yeah but just wants no, to go absolutely. to the movies just for like chewing gum for the brain not something that gets you to think just like stupid entertainment and like and, we said it about the Adam Sandler like yeah. being their all time hit yeah, yeah on Netflix this, exactly it's kind of they're made for one another it's the kind of thing that would make me want to get better speakers in my head yeah <laughs> Better speakers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fuck it. Like, it's home cinema. And plus, as well, I mean, the thing about Michael Bay's films, generally speaking, is, is that they are so, as you say, they are bubblegum for the eyes. They are li- they are that disposable that seeing it on Netflix. Bubblegum for the eyes? I said chewing gum for the brain. Chewing gum for the brain. Where, bubble where gum. did bubblegum for the <laughs> eyes like, come from? Like bubblegum coming out like of the I'm eyes. Like, I'm just imagining I'm the have eyes. I'm going to get kind my of... own one now. Uh, mints for the ears? <laughs> 
TikTok. Polo for- mints as opposed to beef mints. Yeah, yeah. And then like Tic Tacs for the senses. Um, but <laughs> no, but no, but like, I mean, the idea of like that they're that kind of disposable, it kind of makes sense that it would go straight to Netflix, you know, that kind yeah. of way. Because remember like in the 90s, they had like those really, um, those really cheap action movies, mm. like, you know, uh, what was it like the the Chuck Norris ones? Okay, yeah, there is yeah. something kind of old school about it. It yeah. is almost like eighties <laughs> dumb action. Yeah, like Lone Wolf, you know? yeah. Lone Wolf McQuaid and De- the Delta Force. Now yeah. I'm kind of want to track back a little bit because I feel like we're giving them a lot of credit. Perhaps yeah, that's we would slag other people. Too much. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay, that's fair. now we'll hold off and see how it goes. Speaking of great directors, oh, are you teeing me up to describe Christopher Nolan with Tenet? We were lucky enough to, uh, at the IMAX screening of Joker last night, mm-hmm. got to see that teaser that hasn't been doing the rounds. It's still not online. Still not online yet. And I'm trying to figure out, so will they show this before all of Joker now, or was it just us? I think, I think the, the entire screenings will get it now, because okay. it's Warner Brothers. Now we've clearly sold Joker, even on that alone. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but I... I remember hearing how much it didn't show. So this is what Christopher Nolan's latest movie with yeah. uh, Denzel Washington's son. Mm. What's his name? John David. John David Washington. Um, and I, my money is on this being a sequel to Inception. I can't believe there's no more news on that. I don't know. You do, you disagree. I don't know. You it don't seems, like all the seems, time dilation. I think it's more that. time travel, but I don't know if that necessarily means it's dream levels. It's interstellar you know what I mean? instead. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, just Christopher Nolan has been so well I know aside from the Batman trilogy he's been so no all my movies are standalone actually yeah that's a good point Yeah, you know what I mean yeah Um, and I suppose it does have a good and even with the Batman trilogy he was like now that's it I'm not doing you know a born on it or straight something. Straight to DVD. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that. Fucking Matt Damon with his born that was unnecessary. <laughs> I only saw that a while ago. Yeah. It, it was, made me so mad. It was so uncalled for. I wanted to like so Riz Ahmed more, but his character was so shy. Yeah. That's, That's what happens when you get too close to a pastiche or whatever. It was like, I, I'm a tech man. <laughs> I'm the guy with the headphones. Yeah. At a computer. Bring me, Jason Moore. Um, but yeah, no, Jesus, Jason Bourne, God, what a fucking letdown, huh? Yeah. And they were pushing that hard. Remember when they sent me off to do that Krav Maga uh, shit? Yeah. Oh my God. At least he got to do that big punch in the trailer. That was funny. That was the highlight. Anyways, um, yeah, no, Tenet, yeah, I saw I saw this, uh, Jesus, when did I see this? This was I saw this about two, three weeks. Yeah, it's interesting. I definitely think it's an Inception sequel. I definitely think it's an Inception sequel. I don't know. Maybe it's not necessary. But... I don't think it needs to be, yeah. I don't think it needs yeah. to be. Maybe I it's mean, set in the same world. Yeah. It's so funny because like footage wise between, you know how you get all the titles like from Christopher Nolan, the legend behind yes. Rayadia. And then they're like teasing the, you know, the little start of the title and then they reveal the full title. So footage wise, we probably only saw about 10 seconds. If that's even. Know it, yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm still so I think intrigued. we're just too giddy for it. Yeah, we're not being fed a lot. So we're like, oh, but also the other thing to say was that it was trying to push the 70 millimeter IMAX. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which he's famous for with yeah. his big old print. Uh Dunkirk, so, like, and all that, like, Dunkirk looked incredible on 70 mil. I remember seeing that in the IFI. And it was, yeah, I wish I'd seen it. The yeah, opening scene with that ticking clock, oh. when those speakers hit me, I was like, I need a break already. I, oh, <laughs> like, literally, like, I remember, like, my palms and my hands were, like, <laughs> like pumping sweat by the end of Dunkirk. Like, it was like... Bolt action rifle. Well. Oh, my oh, God. Man. And even that as well, I saw there was a featurette came out for uh, 1917, Sam Mendes' yeah. uh, World War One thing, and that's apparently all going to be one shot, one continuous first, shot. <laughs> and I was like, oh fuck! I don't need another panic attack in the cinema for a World War One film, like or a World War Two film, or whatever the fuck. Like, I don't need another panic attack yes. in the cinema. Jesus. Well, I suppose that leads us into our big review. Yeah. 
movie reviews. Which is Joker this week. Uh, it, this is going to be what? Did we say it's going to be a mildly spoilery review? Yes. See, I'd like your take on this. Brian said uh, people can pause this, skip this, go see it at the weekend. Mm. Or do you like, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about it without some spoilers, I suppose. So if we're going for it, I guess we're going for it. So yeah, sorry, flip it. Okay, so Brian's review on the website is spoiler free. It is. It is. The uh, review that's on site that I filed is spoiler free. So if you want to read a spoil, if you want a spoiler free version of uh, a Joker review, go read that right now. I am going to now hit the spoiler button alarm. Oh. Spoiler. 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 <laughs> and we are now going to mention spoilers yeah. in Joker. So Should be we aware. Give a lot of time for this because we can say skip forward 15 minutes. I don't know. Well, like, let's say, okay, let's put, I don't know. You'll have to come back in hindsight. And I'll probably have to come back, but let's put 15 minutes on the clock, okay. let's say. And yeah. let's say we're going to talk about And actually, yeah, 15 minutes from now, we'll go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, we're still talking. Yeah. <laughs> That'll work. I think 15 yeah. minutes is plenty. Yeah, yeah that's plenty. Actually, that's yeah, a good yeah, round. Yeah, yeah. All okay, right. 15 minutes from now. So, uh, also, so everyone dies. I couldn't believe how, and it was all a dream. I'm interested to see. We haven't said a word about this to each other yet. Yes. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a meaty discussion. Mm. I'm wondering, do we all have similar opinions or what? Let's talk about the actual film before we go into any wider controversy or anything yet. I suppose. What do you guys think? Okay. Who wants to go first? Well, I go I'm first. looking so nervous. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I feel like I am still processing it. So obviously, myself and Owen only saw it last night. We were at the premiere, which is very we're exciting. Because we're legends. Um, yeah, which was a lot of fun. Packed cinema. So it shows like, you know, how many people want to see this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm still mulling it over. I thought the thing that struck me the most was its social commentary. I felt that that really, really kind of stuck with me. What it was saying about the rich, poor divide was kind of really, I don't know, it just really struck a chord with me. Yeah. Made me feel really kind of sad and despairing slightly. And obviously there was a, a slight like political commentary in, in there as well. And then just the way I know that people are like, oh no, it's going to encourage, you know, violence or whatever and the poor to like, you know, rise up against everyone. But I don't think it will do that any more than any other movie that is out there or TV show. Like if people want to find the material, they will find it. Like I was almost like thinking of like, you know, 13 Reasons Why a while ago. And everyone was like, oh no, that's going to encourage, you know, people to follow um, whatchamacallit or Catherine Longford's character. But like in the end, that turned out to all be BS. But um, So like if we actually address it first, I was uh, nervous going into this because a good part of me thought like, you know, it's difficult to be progressive or see yourself as a progressive and enjoy the film or you know not critique it in that way and when I came out of it I was surprised how strongly I felt that um there are tragedies with these useless feckin <laughs> awful awful people but I don't think it's the art's job to censor itself as much as it is just to hold up a mirror to society and say the film is quite clear throughout that the Joker is a product of Gotham of the illness mm. in the city it's shown like even the it, it opens with the the trash on strike and the visuals of like just this disgusting nihilistic awful dark world um and to me it didn't it, it certainly makes you sympathize with the character even to the extent that it, they make Alfred look like an asshole at one stage <laughs> but 
I don't think it goes as so far as to not showing why these things came about. It shows mm-hmm. the role of the media very well. And yes. it shows how he can't get access to health services, this kind of stuff. You're basically watching someone with mental illness dreadfully get worse over a long period of time. Yeah, that's all very, very true, I think. Um, the part of Joker that I didn't like Yeah, I was, believe you were in a I, <clears throat> what I, what I, The problem that I felt with it was, was that it almost seemed to suggest that the violence that Joker then inflicts on the city... Mm that Gotham deserved it in the first place because it completely mistreated him and because, you know, like there's that line, and again, this is a spoiler, and we said this is a spoiler, um, when he shoots Robert De Niro's character and just before he shoots him, he says, what do you get when you, uh, I forget the exact line, but it was something along the lines of, what do you get when you mix uh, a mentally mentally ill person and a society that doesn't give a oh, shit about yeah. what you fucking deserve and then he shoots him. And like that's very that's, provocative. that's really fucking provocative. And like to be fair, like whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the film doesn't really address that, you know, that sort of way. It doesn't really kind of suggest, okay, fine, yes, these things happen. And yes, people are degraded by capitalistic societies and that, you know, there is a massive divide between the rich and the poor. But at the same time, like, yeah, as you said, like, the film's very nihilistic. It's yeah. basically saying nobody is good. Like, even mm. Thomas Wayne, like, we're kind of, initially you're kind of thinking, oh, he's a scumbag. And, you know, oh, it's that whole subplot about mm. him yeah. and uh, the mother the mother and all yeah. that kind of thing. Um, that's fair, you know. But would you not agree with Owen in that this is Gotham and the whole point is it's set in Gotham where it is just a place of evil. And the whole point is that later on, Batman comes in as a hero and kind of is almost like a Christ-like figure who like sacrifices himself and kind of makes the city good again. Yeah, but I mean, we don't see that's Yeah, that's fair, but we don't see Batman in this at all. We only literally yeah. see him oh, at I the know, very but end. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, but we it's know that, the, I know what you're it's saying. It's only the start and that's when um, Gotham, so Go- I suppose the whole idea is that Gotham is, has always been kind of corrupt and bad. Yeah. But then it's only from the Joker kind of coming in that it all, that it completely disintegrates into yeah. crime. And that's kind of the start and then that's where Batman comes in. So it's almost like all of this stuff is happening, you know, at the same time as Batman begins, if you will, and then he kind yeah, of goes sure. off and then he comes back. I suppose that would be just my interpretation. I know that you're saying... But Batman doesn't come in and save the the day. But that's also kind of partly the point is that. Yeah. I mean, the way I kind of saw the film was, was that it's basically driving everything into the ditch. It's basically saying like, this is as worse as the fucking city can get. And they're literally praising Joker because he killed a couple Mm. of rich people. And he's literally like Mm. raised up as this, this hero to the city, even though he's completely insane Mm. and has killed a lot of people. Like, and then the idea, as you say, is that, oh, then, well, Batman will come and he will save the day. Well, we don't fucking see that in the film. There has to be a payoff. Do you know what I mean? There has mm. to be a sort of, you have to see it go into the, you have to see it go into the valley to come out the but other side of it. you don't have like, to. I mean, that's that's you wanting kind of satisfaction as a film viewer, you well, know? Yeah, like you're I mean, left kind of uncomfortable with the way that it yeah, ended. But I think that that's a testament to its strength, that it didn't feel the need to kind of resolve everything no, and no, make no, everything no. happy I, 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 end, Yeah, you know? no, no, I take your point. Yeah, definitely. It's bold in that in that mm. sense. I will say this. I can absolutely put my hand on my heart and say it is a the boldest uh, comic book film I've ever seen. Yeah. It is as daring and as original as anything I've ever seen. Yeah. I really give Todd Phillips and Whacking Bean credit for that. It is as original as I've ever seen That's in a comic book film. That it was just this masterful adaptation. I thought, as a huge fan of the character in the comic books, mm. 
it was the most accurate Gotham I'd ever yes. seen. Mm-hmm. Just in tone and just the whole vibe of the place and the characterization of Arthur Fleck was a masterclass. Like whatever about Joaquin Phoenix, his performance is incredible. But even the direction of it, that it would have been so easy for someone so mysterious and mysterious a background. And while the, the plot does play with that, we're never really sure. Was he this abandoned child? Was mm-hmm. he the, was he related to Bruce Wayne? Yeah. Which is a brilliant little side. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I love that. But not only that, but the camera never leaves his side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, it's from his point of view. We see him interacting with all this information. Yeah. And as we find out later, we actually see stuff that he's actually imagined. Incredibly. Yeah. I, that Pudwink really got to me. I was like, yeah. oh my God, because it just made it so bleak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Dave, producer Dave was sitting next to me in the cinema and was like, what's she doing hanging out with him? And I was like, haha. <laughs> but because it was so set up, I never questioned it. Yeah. Th- you see oh, here. I, I watched fantasy. too many movies because I actually thought as soon I, as I saw this, it, yeah. there's I was no like, way I think, he's I found think a girl. He's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit too like, oh, this is very fucking Fight Club or something like that. Yeah. Like, there's mm. something, that, like I was thinking like she was dead or something and he killed her or something. But um, yeah, and I think the, I, another part of it I liked as well was the fact that, like, I, same as you, I saw it in 70 mil or in IMAX rather. And the fact that Todd Phillips puts the camera, like, fucking rams it right in Phoenix, right up his nose. So you're kind of almost assaulted by Joaquin Phoenix's face throughout mm. the entire film. Like, it's really just bearing down on top of you. Yeah. You can't look anywhere else. There's no kind of like, oh, look at the beautiful background or look at the production design, even though it's really good. Yeah. You are absolutely, you must focus on him and nothing else. And it's very kind of like, it's in your face, he literally. music mm. for that kind of thing as yeah. well. Yeah. Like, there's a couple of reasons I think this is just like a five-star film that will stand for a long time. But one of them is like, I, 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 read, I read the long uh, Joaquin Phoenix interview in Vanity Fair last yeah. night. Mm. And they were saying one of the scenes, um, he's committed three murders. He's kind of realizing he's fallen into this madness. And so he's he dancing. flees and he's looking for somewhere to hide the gun. And they said it wasn't quite working out in the shoot. So... They kicked everybody out. There was 250 people outside the bathroom and it was just Todd Phillips, Joaquin Phoenix and one cameraman and he just started dancing. And the way the music comes in and you're just like, he's enjoying it. He realizes he's found something to latch onto or whatever. Mm, The shiver it said down my spine, it was just, it takes you to so many of these weird places. Mm. Thought it was brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. God, the more we're talking about it, actually, the more I am growing to like it. Yeah. You know, as opposed to like, there have been other movies where actually Ad Astra, the more I talked about it, the less I liked it. I kind of felt the same way. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. But the more I think about it, the more 2D it seems compared to something like this, where it it takes... I'm so upset I know, but I know I do feel like I No, 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 no. To be fair, no, I get it. No, I... I I, I understand that you connected to it really personally. Yeah. Because like... For me, like I had that with eighth grade this year. Like for yeah, me, nothing yeah. has beaten eighth grade. And by the way, you guys do need yeah. to watch it to let me know what you think. Because we've all seen Ad Astra, so we've all seen Brian's favorite movie. Too right. Actually, what's your favorite movie of the year so Joker. far? It's Joker. Okay, well then we've all seen <laughs> that. Go, you guys go watch yeah. eighth grade. Um, but yeah, I thought my only criticism of uh, Joker, I would say, was at the start. And even now, I don't think it was. I found Racking Phoenix's performance at the start of the film a little hammy. And I think that he has that issue with quite a few of his roles. Yeah. I'm thinking particularly Gladiator here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but the more I think about it, I'm like, no, it wasn't Hammy. It was just, the, I don't know, maybe maybe I have to kind of grow setup. into it or the, something. The clown yeah. at the start especially is quite a like strange 
way to introduce the character mm-hmm. and yeah, his yeah. clowny aspects or something. It's quite yeah. a lot of work to get done yeah. for a yeah. script or whatever, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think another thing that kind of annoyed me about it, and obviously this isn't the movie's fault, um, but the trailer, especially the final trailer, gave away a lot, which yeah. I found kind of frustrating. I would have rather kind of gone into it a bit more blind yeah. and been a bit more surprised by the way the kind of story unraveled. Yeah. Um, so that'd probably be another disappointment. So if anyone is listening who hasn't seen it, although mind you, we've given pretty much all the spoilers <laughs> well, at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen um, it by now, I hope, listeners. Exactly. <laughs> um Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I definitely liked it a lot. I wasn't blown away by it, though. I really, really yeah. wasn't blown away yeah. by it. I what thought, was it about it? Well, yeah, where would you say was it, it's kind of downfall for you anyway? I, or not downfall, just flaws. Well, I think Todd Phillips' direction was pretty ho-hum. Now, I know he was kind of going for that kind of really stripped-back, 70s, mm. grimy thriller kind of thing. Um, I thought the script was very juvenile. I thought the script in a yeah, lot of places really. was really kind of like... Mm. Just very... That kind of line before he shoots him kind of Yeah, thing. you know, that kind of way. It was very kind of like teenage angsty, fuck the world kind of thing. Sure, like, yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, I get that that's kind of part of Joker's whole kind of persona is mm. that he is meant to be this almost kind of petulant villain. Like, mm. that he's yeah. meant to be this, like, literally a Joker. Like, literally just poking at stuff because he can. And the other part of it as well is, is that, like, there is... And I know, like, we've kind of, we haven't really touched on this, but there is the thing of, like, you know, like, this whole thing about, like, incels and shit like that. Like, the fact that, like, involuntary celibates, like, Mm. and the whole thing of, like, could Joker be held up as a fucking hero to them? Now, I don't think anyone watching this would automatically snap and go out and start fucking killing people. That's not what I'm saying at all. I don't, that's that's not it at all. Mm. I don't think that's the case. But what I do think there is, is that there is an element of, holding up somebody who uh, achieves everything they want in the most violent way possible, who was Mm. previously uh, somebody that was completely dejected by society and then goes to that extreme in order to affect what they want like because this is the thing that's kind of left yeah. in the film is that like he got exactly what he, he wanted just a narcissist yeah you know he's this huge like i he, don't know it's definitely part of the bigger question yeah. and this is the biggest question for the whole mm. film is how accountable is art like that Correct. to mm. society or to what, where does the responsibility lie when you make a piece like this? Yeah, and even as well, the, even in the film itself, the idea is, is well, what does society owe Arthur Fleck? Because he automatically thinks he should be a great mm-hmm. comedian and he should go out yeah. there and he should yeah. absolutely be yeah. the greatest comedian that ever was. I mean, maybe it's just kind of, you know, related to the experience of the individual viewer as well. But I actually thought that it provided a really powerful story about how important it is to be kind to your fellow man even though there was no actual evidence of, of kindness yeah. in the movie yeah. that's actually what i came that's away with lacking, you know the... because it would have made such a difference like even he has to imagine it coming from zazie beats's character yeah. you know that's all she was she was just looking out for him but she, would, you know? but she wasn't really but she wasn't yeah. so i just thought that, that it was kind of that I, was a yeah. message i came away with even though it wasn't necessarily there and then as well just what it says about kind of you know um the mentally ill as well as particularly looking out for them and just that there should be social services available to those kind of people and i think it's kind yeah. of brave in that way i think it's yeah. like it would have been easier to tone it back when it is that kind of thing where yeah we can't be sure whether he was a narcissist who always wanted it that way and is delighted to have got there, or if he was, as they say in the film, having a bad day 
and yeah. was consistently this guy being let down mm. by society and the people around him. And he just lashed out like, yeah. And then, and then the society then, deserved I, that. Then. I just thought it was such a good way because we've seen those kind of riot scenes yeah. in Batman movies before with mm-hmm. Bane and stuff like this. And this kind of idea of like, this villain is a populist and yeah. sparks an uprising or whatever. Yeah, especially Dark Knight Rises, I think, tackled that. Whereas the Dark Knight, it was just Joker acting on his own yes. as opposed to everyone else coming up alongside oh, him. him yeah. yeah, and then, so like, I don't know. It, I thought I thought it was well handled the way he's this juvenile person who's surprised to see this movement spring up around mm. him. And really not until the very end kind of... Does he embrace it? Embraces yeah. it, yeah. yeah. But there's an anger there before Joker appears yeah. as a figure. Yeah. So that's another thing to kind of bear in mind is that there's kind of an... Festering. Exactly. It's there festering. And there are people who are like dissatisfied and poor and angry. And he kind of emerges as an icon for them to follow. I mean, it is like, it's a really good kind of, you know, um, you know, warn, uh, what's the word? Warning tale. There's a word yeah, for that. Cautionary, cautionary tale. Cautionary tale in that regard, you know, because mm. we've seen these kind of things happen. Yeah. I mean, look at Hitler. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, that's why I think it's such a good movie for the times because it's like, <sighs> It's it it, it I, I'm nervous to talk because it's we're talking about real lives yeah. versus mm. a film, right? But if is it the job of the art to be less provocative, or is it the job of society to look at this art and change? I think the latter. I think that people should hold themselves accountable. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. maybe that you know we're opinion. getting into like gun laws and <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever, yeah. but. I Which think, is more responsible, the film that inspires or the, the society I just that think allows? That, I just yeah. think we've had film for long enough. We've had film for over 100 years that we don't really have the excuse. If if, we, if there haven't been films that have made people, you know, yeah. do that shit before, then are, yeah, people are need to hold themselves accountable. Are we talking about like Marilyn Manson and Columbine or yeah, something? Yeah, is yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I can t- you really say that these things... I mean. In a way, you can, especially because of you've got something like Aurora, which yeah. have, they've refused mm. to screen joke. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. potentially rightly so, but we're talking about censorship. I don't know where I come down on yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, there's an element of, like, you know, watching this film, he is not held up as a hero, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Um, he is kind of a pathetic creature. Like, so He's a not, joker. I mean, the last yeah. visual you see of him is him li- like running around a mental institution. Yeah, being yeah. Chased. it's like a little Again, it's like yeah. goofy. He's just, yeah, it's yeah. a weird that kind he's, of finale. But yeah. it's perfectly fitting as well in that he is a joker. Yeah, and that he'll never stop. Like, And mm. they'll just keep continuously chasing him. Like, yeah. You can see how people raise him up and he's going to be this supervillain with ultimately, a henchmen behind him. And you're like, wow, that's how it happened. Yeah, you know? but even at that, yeah. Like, yeah, we know he's going to be this, like, demagogue, if you like. But mm. ultimately, he's just a, a crazy person running around a mental institution. Mm. Like. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, it just, it, it le- the, the whole film left me very disturbed, which I think was the intent. Yes. That was the artistic intent. It was to disturb and, you know, really kind of make you kind of look at this. And, you know, I like, however many times I've seen The Dark Knight, however many times I've seen Man of Steel, however many times I've seen X-Men, any of these films, I've never, or even Logan, for example, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, which again I've, was as close as it gets, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never walked away from a film, uh, sorry, a comic book film, rather, this affected mm. do you know what i mean i really i walked out of it and i felt like i needed a shower you know yeah. kind of i was really like oh you know that was yeah. the thing for me the fact that it's provocative yes it's mm-hmm. like, provocative i i could see this 
winning best film off the back of I don't think so really yeah I think, I think I it think deserves that, I think that these team. kind of films scare yeah. the academy actually right. it's too weird too much yeah, yeah yeah maybe I'm talking about a perfect world or something but I can see how these things it, I think it deserves praise for that provocativeness because it's better than La La Land <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it's definitely it's... better than La La Land anything's better than La La Land yeah. well Moonlight was better than La La Land there you go. Um, it might be a moonlight in a lot of ways for some reason. Maybe it was just the lighting. Moonlight? <laughs> yeah. That is such a I weird it, one. To I get. think it was just when I was walking out of it, I was like, maybe just because it deserves to be acclaimed or something. But that was one of the first things yeah. I thought of. I don't know why. There was some weird movie that I was thinking of as I was watching, and I can't for the life of me remember, but it was so not along the lines of Joker at all that I was like, it why am I thinking of that movie? Taxi no, driver. It wasn't one of those. I can't even think what it was. I was surprised. I'll try to remember uh, how little I referenced them. I expected a bit more from Me the trailers mm. that it looked like a pastiche or something like Taxi Driver. Me too. There was, was literally kind of thing, yeah. two scenes, two yeah. scenes in it that one copied Taxi Driver and one copied King of Comedy, and that was it. That was the yeah. entire, you know, crux of it. Like, and do you know what else I liked? Maybe I'm harping on too long, right? But the they show the Batman origin story at the yeah. end, which yeah. has been shot a thousand times before, mm. uh, and I thought they did it pretty well. But other than that. The only reference to Batman is like Adam West, Bruce Wayne slides down poles. Like the the kids sliding down the pole in the playground was like the only reference I saw to like. Oh, I missed that. That is going to be Batman. Wow, nice one. Nice. He's, he's in the garden. Arthur Fleck comes up and he goes down a little pole, and I was like, yeah, guys. I wow. never got that. That's impressive. And there that is, is not a single other Batman trope. That anywhere. is really fucking impressive. And I, I never got that. Nope. I thought Me it was either. gas. And it's, yeah. And then, you know, you see, you see Alfred pay your for a bit as well. But it's the kind of thing where, like, it's, they've used, they've sat down with DC, made a plan, and used the movie tropes to create something original. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it needs to all be about. It's like people have been trying to do it where it's, yeah. like, you, you take Logan, for example, you've got this amazing character, Wolverine, with all this legacy, and you use that to tell. Uh, kind of end a character of story yeah. of yeah this yeah. old man or whatever yeah definitely like I mean as much as like Logan was the unforgiven of superhero films yeah you know Joker is the I don't know like the the taxi driver maybe it is the taxi yeah. driver maybe it that is was the taxi kind of the driver. closest comparison yeah. I could say in yeah. terms of yeah, like kind of story arc and yeah. even something like uh, his previous work with the master I don't think it's far yeah. off something like that in terms of mm. skill. Yeah, I heard. I did hear a few people say they thought his performance in Master was better. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen it now myself, that, but um, the Master yeah. is is very it's like the Master sprawling. Or something. Yeah, it's a lot more sprawling. I think the Master is definitely it's an acquired taste. Mm. Like as much as many people I've seen who liked it, disliked it. So mm. it's really yeah, Master is hit and miss yeah. for a lot of people. Did we go over 15 minutes? I feel we like we went over 15 minutes. Don't listen to the last 10 minutes. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I don't think we went too far over. Ah, yeah. whatever. Ah, that's right. We're going to move on. So, whew. <laughs> a lot to get through there. <laughs> what do you make of that? We've got another movie to review, which I believe Dee has been excited about. Oh my God, I'm so excited to talk about you. Dee. Oh my God, it's so good. There were actual dogs in the street that oh. went just... <laughs> Because <laughs> you were that high pitched, and yes, you are incredibly excited. What's I'm the crack? so so excited for this film, and I know that not everybody loves this film, but I love this film, and I will tell you why I love this film. 
Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland is just absolutely brilliant. She gives such a beautiful, moving performance as Judy Garland. She absolutely looks apart, yeah. like not just re- with regards to like, you know, the makeup and the hair and all of that, but even like she gets all these little quirks and the way that she speaks so, so perfectly. And what's interesting, actually, is the Judy, the director of Judy, whose name I've forgotten now. Sorry about that. Um, but he recently actually compared Judy to Joker, saying that they both follow uh, characters who are like on the brink of society and who've been kind of abandoned okay, by everyone around yeah. them, which is kind of interesting because what happens in Judy essentially is so the, it like intercuts with flashbacks from like when she was a child actor. It starts with kind of when she started off in Wizard of Oz and your man, um, the big producer, is it meant to be Louis B. Mayer Selznick or something, or... is kind of talking to her and saying like, you know, there could be any other number of girls out there who will be a star but you're the one who has the voice there are a lot of girls out there who are much prettier than you but you have the voice but do you actually want this to you want to be a star and obviously she's young and naive and she's like yes that's what i want and then of course you know it it picks up holding up lens to it nowadays where it's like she was really pressured into she had an eating disorder and stuff yeah yeah exactly and they forced her to take all these diet pills she wasn't allowed like eat fast food and stuff like this they like through her birthday party but they had the whole thing like choreographed and photographed and none of her actual friends were like invited to it so it was just like a really kind of crap um, upbringing and and I know apparently Hollywood isn't as bad now but I mean it does kind of emphasize how for years and years and I suppose it still happens to um, you know some degree that these actors aren't people anymore. They're just commodities. And when we see her in kind of the present day in which most of the film takes place, because she's doing this uh, run of sold out shows in London and like, you know, she's not, she's suffering from insomnia and she's getting drunk and she's getting high and all this stuff. And nobody cares. The manager and the director and all that are just pushing her onto the stage saying, just go, just perform. They don't care about looking after her or anything. They don't care about her physical and mental health. They were, they're just like, get on the stage and perform the show. And some of the nights she does an incredible job and she just owns that stage. And then some nights she goes out and she is just a mess and the audience can pick up, pick up on it and everything. And it's just like, I just thought it really portrayed a really like beautiful, tragic picture of like celebrity and the way that, you know, people like this can be so dehumanized yeah. and brought back to just like, She's you know, icons or things them. or commodities. Exactly. And there's a nice like little um kind of wink in it as well to the fact that she is a gay icon because she kind of goes out to dinner with this uh, gay couple who absolutely have like adored her and like followed oh. her all their lives. And it is so, so sweet. I just thought that this was like, a brilliant, brilliant film. I thought that it captured classic Hollywood so well. Renee Zellweger gave a beautiful performance. Thematically, I find it kind of really interesting and a good conversation starter. So yeah, yeah I don't know what more there is to say about it. I just really, really loved it. Jesse Buckley as well. She plays, um, I forget her exact role, whether it's like creative director or manager of these stage shows or whatever, but she's pretty much got like second billing in this wow, movie, brilliant. which is really impressive for her, you know, um, and she's really good in it too. And do you think Zellweger could get a Best Actress nod? I think Certainly. so, yeah. I think that she could even win it. I know that some people are like, oh, her performance is too hammy and I don't believe in it and stuff. But what I loved about it, and again, this is harking back to like how much of a fan I am of classic yeah. classic Hollywood but there was almost something kind of classic Hollywood about her performance so that it had even like more layers and it actually made even more sense in that regard because yes. that's the whole point of Judy Garland she came from a certain era where there was a certain style of acting and, she was and quite that OTT is how she 
yeah. anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She was she was a performer. You know, she was an incredible, incredible performer. And that is exactly what Renee Zellweger is bringing to um, the role. Sorry, I just realized I forgot to look at the timer there, but I haven't been talking about you for too long. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just love this film so much. This is your Ad Astra. This is your ad yeah. This is what this is. No, because I don't like personally connect to it. Like I nope. too have been made a commodity. You've got nope. diva issues. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be a star. Yeah. But no, but like, you know, but your whole thing is, is always been, as long as I've known you, is you are mad for classic Hollywood. You love that old time Hollywood vibe. Did you yeah. enjoy the artist? Is it that kind of I thing? I did really like the artist. I yeah, think anybody who liked movies like the artist and La La Land are going to really like this and get this really because do. of all those. Well, references yeah. yeah yeah and that's just it and that's why i think a movie like judy would actually probably do a bit better at the oscars than something like joker yes. because it's it's celebrating movies but at the same time it kind of isn't because it's saying like this is Look all the, this is all the shit that was going on it's kind of a behind the red curtain type of story you know um and i just thought it was really powerful and sad but also hopeful yeah yeah it was and just, then what makes yeah. it like for i only saw um stan and on ollie recently yeah yeah uh and it's a similar kind of tale maybe with mm. these kind of twilight years f- not failing actors but you know the down on the downward slope yeah, um yeah. but again i didn't think that was a five-star film yeah and what elevates something like this is it just because it's so personal to her i think it's that it's so personal i think renee zellweger's performance is absolutely amazing i just thought that it captured classic hollywood a bit better and for me stan and ollie was kind of losing pacing a bit whereas this film i thought that it had a really neat balance between what was going on in the present day which included by the way renee zellweger like meeting her fifth husband and stuff like this and then she's and then the whole point of her um going on onto these kind of stage shows is so so that she can be reunited with her kids who are now living um, over in the States with their father who's played by Rufus Sewell. Oh, her um, oldest daughter, not Liza Minnelli, this is her oldest of her two younger daughters, actually is played by, ooh, which one call her? Liana in Game of Thrones. Which one call her? Liana little... Mormont. Yes. Ah, class. I was, I was watching it and I was like, I know that face. I know it from somewhere. Uh, but yeah, there you go. So ah, she, she's still... Yeah. That's brilliant. Is she's she still plugging away. Yeah, she's one of the kids. The North remembers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she she's very good on this as well. Obviously, like kind of a smaller yeah, role. Yeah. But I just thought, like I said, for me, I just haven't seen a film that is portrayed kind of the bad, like the sad side of celebrity and Hollywood kind of to this degree, but also been like full of flash and entertainment. And I loved all the songs in it as well. Like Renee, so Renee Zellweger is singing them herself, I suppose, you ah, know, how for Bohemian doing Rhapsody. Doing a Johnny Cash, Joaquin Phoenix on it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like her, I like her as a singer. Like I really liked her in Chicago and everything, yeah, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, and is she is it how do they do the flashbacks is it digital de-aging or is it no no no. it's like it's a young actress who's playing her ah. I forget her name come to think of it uh, but she's an up and comer and she's is the very Dorothy very dress good at one stage or whatever yeah yeah exactly yeah no it's really well done um, this is totally your ad astra I'm just gonna just this ah, is, this yeah. is D's ad astra yeah. this, this is, is the thing though yeah. I really want to see that as yeah. well but like Ren- but films. Renee Zellweger kind of alters between like just the tragedy and the complete disintegration of Judy Garland between that and just her absolute love 
of performing yeah. like she just gets up on the stage and when it's a good night and when she has that audience she just loves it so much and she's just so so good at it at singing yeah. at putting on a show at getting everyone excited at you know putting on the razzle dazzle oh, I just thought that it was it was so so good yeah. maybe maybe Brian's right maybe it just kind of ticks all the boxes of everything I kind of love in movies and that's but, okay like that's you know. like I mean I, I we've talked about this before but like I I don't have a problem with that. If a critic like likes That's exactly it. If yeah. a critic really likes these kind of films and is mm. really, really into that kind of thing, like D is really into old Hollywood and you know, the singing and the performance mm. and the magic of old Hollywood and blah 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 blah. If you're giving that five stars, of course. Yeah. Give it fucking five stars. If you can stand over it and be like, I love this film. Have I considered it as a five star film? Do you think with No, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You're, you're okay. like you did you yes. like you <laughs> <laughs> I got it. No, but like you can emphasize it like I can hear the passion in your mm. voice that you really do think this was a five star film now I may watch it and think it's not a five star film at all mm. same way you'd look at Ad Astra and be like eh, this isn't a five star film it's been yeah. losing a star by the week Brian yeah it is you're <laughs> <laughs> gonna get the end of this fucking <laughs> show <laughs> <laughs> one star fuck Ad Astra that's why I really liked your reservations about Joker as well because it's making me question it and I know this is an especially hot topic or whatever but yeah, I think we did it a bit of justice by talking it mm. out. Yeah. I think it needed that. Yeah, I think it did, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> End up talking about it again next week. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Probably. All right, we're going to see out the show. With... Actually, Dee, you've got a fantastic interview. Yes. So We've the... got a lovely little epilogue. This is my interview with Tom Burke. So I really, really enjoyed talking to Tom. He was very, like, chatty and open. And we ended up kind of delving into a few things about this uh, documentary he's made. It's Irish, actually, called Losing Alaska. And it basically follows how over, I think it was shot between 20, about 2013, in 2018 about how you know because of um, global warming and environmental damage and everything Alaska is losing land and it just goes you know over there and it's interviewing the people and stuff and looking at everything that's kind of happening politically and socially really really interesting really film good. was this Irish film board or yeah yeah it was part I think it was partly oh no it wasn't the Newfoundland um, it initiative was or something Ar- no. it was Screen Ireland yeah because I think it's Screen Ireland now yes um, but I mean for me the only thing I find disappointing so if you're if you're listening to this and if the interview sells it to you do try to see it in the cinema because I had to watch a screener so I was watching it on the TV screen but I absolutely wish I'd watched it on the big screen because when you s- you can actually see visually see like the damage that is being done you can see the place eroding you can see the land like the ocean is just catching up on people's houses and it's kind of really a terrifying image that really stays with you um after the film so yeah and that's uh, that uh, this movie is also out this week as well so big week for movies and we've to mention as well somebody was uh, uh, tweeting us asking us to talk about the farewell oh, oh yeah we'll get to that next well, week we'll do that next week it actually deserves another wraparound it, it does yeah. yeah we will get to that next week yeah and if anyone has anything else they'd like us to talk about just <laughs> let us know and we'll yeah. do it next week yeah, yeah. we're yeah. actually very influenced by yeah. our Twitter commenters so. but next week is like full of stuff we've got um, oh wait what do we have Oh my god, this is the first time we've done we've ended the show and you don't know what we're doing next week. I think is it the week of Dark Lies the Island and Maleficent and all that? Oh yeah. I think that's either next week or the week after. No, 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 no. It's um Zombieland. Is Zombieland not out that week? No. No, that's the eighteenth. Yeah. Yeah, because we've uh, we've interviews with Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg. Oh brilliant. In the coming weeks. Um is it Maleficent? 
We'll oh, figure it out. oh, her phone's That's... going off. Oh, she's playing the trailer. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's go to the interview. Thanks very much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next week. So, Tom, thanks so much for coming in to me today. Lovely to be here. Congratulations on Losing Alaska. This was a really powerful movie, I found. Thank you for saying that. It's um, it's interesting to be at this point of the process to see how it's resonating with different audiences. Mm-hmm. So I've been to screenings in uh, Amsterdam, in Italy, in somewhere else, Munich, and it's been shown in, in lots of other European countries. And the the response, it's very interesting to see what people are reading into the film um, mm-hmm. at this point. Have there been any responses that you know, you've been surprised about that you've been like, oh, I didn't really see it that way. But that's interesting that you see it that way. Um, Nothing that I've been totally surprised by, because there are there are various elements in the mix, if you like. And Mm -hmm. and there are things that can be read into it. Um, Is it an environmental story? Is it a story about a small town? Is it a politics story? Um, Is it a more anthropological story about a people whose way of life is under threat so there are there are those layers to the to the film that you know we very consciously put in there what's interesting then is which layers or which threads different audiences choose to pick up on Mm -hmm. um so the german audience were very much about the the mechanics of the environmental catastrophe that's going on and they wanted to talk about that in in very factual terms uh, whereas the Italian audience were much more interested in questions of implicit racism that the film brings up. Okay, so they yeah. they almost glided past the environmental concern and took that as, as a given and then got straight into the how is this village being treated by state and federal agencies. So they, they very quickly got political, mm-hmm. whereas the Germans less so. Um, it's going to be on at an anthropology festival in Paris in November. So I'm very interested to see what the response there is. Can you take us back um, to the start, actually, for when and where were you when you first started learning about what was happening in Utah, Alaska? I was uh, probably in my office in Dublin. (laughs) Um, I I read a series of articles in the Guardian newspaper. Um, They did a, a really excellent series of reports from the village and the series was entitled America's Climate Refugees. Mm-hmm. And so that, in a way, that's kind of the initial hook, which is here's this village, here's this environmental catastrophe. Nothing is happening. Nothing's been done to help them. And yet these people are American citizens. Mm-hmm. So that, that was very much the, the tack that The Guardian took um, at that point. The pictures that accompanied that article were kind of conjured up this image of a landscape that was something I hadn't really seen before. Mm-hmm. This totally, completely flat tundra for hundreds of miles in every direction. So the story that The Guardian put together, which kind of had three elements to it, the the environmental situation, the political situation, and then this effort to move the village to a new place, um, were all kind of intriguing and presented this multi-layered narrative and then the visual element which I thought I thought if I went there with a with a camera I could come back with something really quite striking mm-hmm. so so for for feature documentary 
I think what what should make a feature documentary different from a TV documentary is there should be those extra layers because you have to earn that extra running time. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go beyond 52 hours... And the big screen status as well, I'd say. Uh, yeah. yeah. You, you've got a bigger canvas and you've got a longer uh, time frame, both mm-hmm. in terms of the running time of the film and the time it will take you to make the film. And so if you're going to take it on as a feature doc as opposed to anything else, I think it has to have several layers. And I think in New Talk, in, in this story of losing Alaska I think I found enough layers to to really to justify that and how long was that process between when you first read these articles and then when you kind of started to shoot okay so yeah because it's funny the filmmakers are are kind of yeah people who are interested in the filmmaking aspect of it want to know about process and Mm -hmm. and process is obviously important um I would have so very loosely, late 2013, I'm reading about the village and I'm okay. getting intrigued by the village. And throughout 2014, I am reaching out to the village and starting to have conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm meeting kind of very receptive people on the other side who are who are willing to talk, who are happy to talk, who are well able to talk mm-hmm. um, and and tell their story. Uh, I'm figuring out how feasible it is. How do you get there? How much gear can you bring? If you're there, how do you live there? How do you mm-hmm. feed yourself when you're there? Because these are not uh, simple questions with, with simple answers. It takes five flights to get to the village. Wow. Um, it's 36 hours or more sometimes of continuous travel. Um, so there are, lo- there are logistical concerns. So throughout 2014, I'm I'm doing the research. I'm talking to people. I'm writing about it. And I am making a proposal to what was then the Irish Film Board in, I want to say, late late 2014. Mm-hmm. And then, thankfully, the Irish Film Board, as it was at the time, Screen Ireland now, uh, looked favourably on that initial proposal and I got some development funding. And so in March 2015, I make the first trip. And I do two trips off of that first development funding uh, the first in March, where the average temperature that week was minus 35 degrees, mm. uh, which yeah. was uh, a, a, a rude awakening. Um, and so that's it evolved from there. So I start I start shooting in March 2015 and I go back six more times over three years, wow. each yeah. time for between two and three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of time. It's a it's a lot of time. It's several months cumulatively. Um, on the ground and again you need that you need that if you're going to get genuine intimacy genuine connection with people because and that comes across hopefully on camera um, again what should distinguish a, a feature documentary from other forms is that you're not getting superficial responses or you're not getting kind of facile interview material you're mm-hmm. you're getting genuine connection with the people uh which i hope which i hope i have achieved because mm-hmm. i was going to ask you and you kind of seem to have mentioned there that you know everybody there was very receptive and very open so there wasn't any Al- point almost everybody <laughs> almost everyone so yeah because that's what i was going to ask next was was there ever a point where you know access would have been a bit more of a challenge access was a challenge on day one okay because 
I had, as you know, or as listeners may know, the one element of the story is that there was this divide within the village, this this um, schism between two two sides of the tribe, mm-hmm. and that had been going on for a number of years before I got there. And early on, I reached out to both sides of that divide because uh, there would be no point in in traveling all that distance to just speak to one side of the of the divide. Um, and so when I got there on day one, um, out of my control, I was collected at the airstrip by Tom John, who's the leader of the the new village council. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was I was put in a sledge and connected to his four wheeler and dragged across the ice down to the village with my uh, gear. And he delivered me down to the school, which was where I was going to stay. I slept on the floor of the library, uh, which was grand. Um, so I met with Grant and I met with Tom John all in that initial um, hour, if you like. And then later that afternoon, I walked down to Stanley Tom's house. Stanley Tom is the old tribal leader mm-hmm. on the other side of the divide. And he knew I was coming. We had been emailing and, and talking back and forth. And I walked into his house and he told me to get out, that I was clearly working with the other side, okay. that I had been seen uh uh, been brought down from the airstrip by the other side that I was clearly working for them and that he wouldn't talk to me and that I should get out and uh, a combination of jet lag and annoyance meant that I shouted right back at him and said do you think I really flew halfway around the world just to talk to one side of the village that doesn't make any sense use your head and I suppose as well as a documentarian it's somewhat irresponsible because the whole idea is you're meant to be you know objective and you're trying to get like every side and all of the facts Hmm. you know there's that element to it as well I would think well yeah because if you're not talking to Stanley Tom and the old tribal council then you you can't really talk about what that divide is mm-hmm. and because otherwise then it's I don't know what his position is and I don't know what the position of the old council is and I'll only get to hear it from the opposition if you like mm-hmm. and and the the divide is very genuinely felt it's the difference between now whether or not Stanley Tom is a is a crook or a villain is kind of beside the point I began thinking that he was the villain of the piece but that's it's not quite as simple as that he is from the old tradition of the elders in the village by default just by virtue of their seniority they run the village so so it's it's as simple as that this is the way we do things because this is the way we've always done things the elders have uh, this special status in the village they have this accumulation of knowledge over time and we should look to them for how to run our affairs. Mm-hmm. That is a totally defendable position. The other side of the divide would say, okay, we're Americans now, we're Alaskans, we are American citizens, we should vote for who we think should run the village, who are who are the most competent people, and we should just have a vote for that because that's the way of the, you know, that's the way of the modern democratic world. Mm-hmm. So that, that divide, it's very hard to, to bridge that of course, if yeah. you if you're going to fully go with tradition you pick tradition and how they do it versus this kind of newer uh, mm-hmm. american model that's complicated by the fact that um the old council it appears 
were guilty of corruption and misappropriation of funds uh, and things like that. So it's, again, it's not simple. Mm-hmm, for sure. I mean, another aspect to the documentary that really kind of struck me was just how personal and emotional, you know, each individual subject got. I was wondering, like, what were kind of the more challenging scenes and subjects to shoot as well. I think that one part that really stood out to me was especially when um, they were talking about the suicide rates among young people. I found that like quite, you know, upsetting to listen to and everything. It is. It is upsetting. Like Bosco's. um, And again, in a film like this, you you could have had a much larger section about suicides and the problem with mm-hmm. with suicide. Um, Bosco, a character like Bosco, who throughout the time of the film goes from being about seventeen or eighteen to to twenty one, uh, he would have lost several friends. Yeah. Um, not just in in Newtok, but in other villages. So, yeah, that's a very that's a very real thing that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um. The teenagers and the young people in the village would have the same challenges, I guess, that teenagers and young people have everywhere, but with with other complicating factors. So it's not it it can be very isolated mm-hmm. in that village if you're not happy in it. Uh, it's a very isolated place to be. The winters are incredibly dark, so they have, you know, a Scandinavian type winter where they have several weeks where there's no sun at all. And if you're struggling with your mental health, that's going to be a big challenge yeah. for you. So it was important to allude to that. It was important to bring that into the narrative. But also the the film also does try and show there's huge amounts of positivity. Mm-hmm. There's huge amounts of freedom in the village, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons I kept going back. Yeah, Once especially seeing the cultural expression. I love that whenever I saw them playing like music and everything together. That was really beautiful. When when those aspects of their culture are working and they primarily are working, it's brilliant. It's mm-hmm. it's the village is has this incredible sense of freedom about it because everybody who's there is broadly related to everybody else there. So it is like this huge family. There are no cars. There are no police officers. There are none of these other aspects of modernity that might, you know, complicate your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go anywhere you want. You have a four wheeler or a snow machine or a boat. The entire landscape is there for you to to use as you wish. So it's incredibly it can be very quiet. It can be very peaceful. It's um, we show that it is you know, they have no running water, they have no sanitation. It can be tough to live there, but it can also be very, very good to live there. <laughs> Talk me through a little about um, including the footage of Obama, because I found that really interesting, especially <laughs> given, you know, we have a certain other president who doesn't even think that this is an issue. Um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit. about. It's very that. funny because sometimes when the film uh, comes on, when Obama appears, you can hear people in the audience going, Oh, as in remember remember when he was the guy. Um, uh, I I wasn't looking to put Obama into it as such. Um, One of the things I was trying to do was keep it, as I say, at at village level Mm -hmm. to keep focused in on the village. There are other layers of bureaucracy that kind of sit above them. And any time I pointed a camera at those layers... It, it just was terrible. It was it was bureaucratic speak. Mm-hmm. So I tried to keep focused on 
people in the village whose lives were a bit affected by this. Like I interviewed the governor of Alaska and, and left him out because it just didn't add anything. The disconnect between the governor of Alaska or any of the state representatives and Raman and Bosco and uh, Albertina, there's just this huge disconnect. But uh, President Obama went to Alaska in late 2015 and made several speeches on precisely this topic. Mm-hmm. Coastal erosion, relocation of communities, climate change, and all of the, the changes that that was going to bring. And as you know, he's pretty good at making speeches. Um, and so it just, it was a very neat way to just tee up, to tee up that. So that was in, that was when I began in 2015, and he, he did that speech in 2015. And then, of course, we all know what happened with the election and we all know who is now the president mm-hmm. so it almost feels like you don't need to you don't need to say all of those things yeah. once you show Obama because he's the foil to the other guy once you show Obama you're like oh yeah there used to be somebody in charge who spoke um, in these coherent factual uh, sentences mm-hmm. and we now know that we've come quite far from that mm-hmm. um, there's only one reference to the current president in the film just really just as a timestamp to mm-hmm. to remind us that we were it was a roundabout election time of October November 2016 That's right, yeah. um, and it's really just there for that because I mean the last thing the world needs is another film with Donald Trump in it <laughs> do you think that um, you would be interested in doing a follow-up I am very interested in the long-term future of that new village. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can absolutely see me going back in a, f- a few years from now mm-hmm. when the new village is fully established. Um, I, I had done this before in one of the first documentaries I made was in The Liberties in Dublin, which I did as a student um, in 2001 with some friends. And then we went back Seven years later, mm-hmm. again the same uh, the same team went back and and did an update of the same story and and the comparison then between the two is really really interesting. In the case of losing Alaska, the, as film time ends, uh, it ends kind of last summer, late twenty eighteen or so, and there isn't significant progress. There mm-hmm. isn't there is nothing new to show sure, yeah. at that point. I'm told by speaking to people in the village uh, over the last couple of weeks that there has been progress this past summer, but still not an, not enough to actually relocate the village. So it's still an open question. So I'd love to see, I'd love in three or four years to go over there and actually do a, almost do a little epilogue to the film that's mm-hmm. like, you know, they made it or they didn't make it. You know, the, the, the great fear is not that they won't make it, it's that the community will dissipate and that they'll just, they'll move to other places um, it's interesting that you've kind of looked at local and global subjects um, because your first short bloody good headline, I don't know, was that the one you were speaking about there? Yeah, about the migrant um, newspaper vendors in Dublin. It's interesting that both of those films have in common, well, from my perspective anyway, that you're kind of really concerned with giving a voice to those who've been neglected and forgotten about. Would you say that is kind of a concern of yours or? Would I? Um <laughs> I th- I think it's always interesting to talk to people who don't normally who we don't normally hear from. Mm-hmm. Um 
in the case of Bloody Good Headline, at a certain point in time in Dublin, everybody was aware of these guys and, and girls uh, selling the Herald in traffic in these bright orange suits. Mm-hmm. So they were this visual icon there for a while, but nobody was talking to them or heard from them. So that film was a good opportunity to hear what's it like to stand in traffic for five hours and breathe uh, fumes and sell this thing and nearly get knocked down and not speak the language. And and what's if, if you've come to Dublin from, uh, a lot of them were uh, Brazilian at that time, um, if you've come here and this is the job that you get, how does that shape your perception of Dublin? So, you know, talking to people who, who we don't normally hear from. Um, similarly, the my other film from this year, the TV doc Shooting the Darkness, is about press photographers in the North who cover the Troubles. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no shortage of material written about the Troubles, but nobody ever spoke to press photographers before. The press photographer would generate the image and then a journalist or reporter would write the copy and nobody asked the press snappers their opinion. Mm-hmm. So again, that was a really good exercise in getting fresh perspectives on things that we already think we know about. And in the case of losing Alaska, yeah, there's not, there's there there wasn't um, a huge number of people clamoring to tell the story from the perspective of the village. Mm-hmm. Um, they have had plenty of press coverage. In fairness, they've had plenty of press coverage. Uh, by news reporters because it's a, it's a really good news item to say um, this is what this coastal erosion is happening in this village and they have to move it and I think the reason for that is it's a climate change story that you can actually point a camera at because you, you can't you can point a camera at their coastline and look at it falling uh, week by week um, so it's a way to visualize a climate change story. You, it's very hard to visualize a, a half a degree of uh, increase in temperature mm-hmm. or, you know, a half a centimeter of rise in sea level. That That's not, it's, it's an abstraction. And I think it's one of the challenges of talking about climate change because it's, you know, it's quite abstract sometimes. Mm-hmm. In the case of losing Alaska and, and Newtok, it's not. It's... It's very practical. Yeah. Um, when I started filming, they had a hundred yards of land. When I stopped filming, they had five yards and of land. And you can see it. And yeah. you can see it. Um, yeah. <laughs> God, I always find with these like kind of environmental topics, I want to ask like, what can the average person do? Is there something we can do? I think a lot of people <laughs> usually ask that after watching these kind of films, you know? Um. To be honest, that's not for me to say. Yeah. Um, it's not. We we had discussions during the edit of, you know, does it end with a call to action or, you know, do we try and rouse people up at the end? I don't feel like that's my job. Um, I feel like my job is to go there, try and understand the perspective of the village and try and bring that out in a film so that so the people in Ireland will be able to hear from the likes of Raman Carl and Bosco Charles and Albertina Charles and Jackie Schaefer and people that they would never that would never ordinarily cross their paths mm-hmm. but they get they get to get to have this quite intimate connection with these people and, and hear what's going through their heads I think that's my job mm-hmm. if people want to use this film 
as a call to action or, or for other um, purposes, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't feel like that's the bit of, of the equation that I do as a filmmaker. Sure, I get you. No, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose then uh, my very last question for you, Tom, would be so you've kind of looked at both like I said, the local and the global, what kind of subject matters are you looking for for future projects? If you can let us in. <laughs> um, what can I say? There's things I can talk about, things I can't talk about. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what I'm very excited about at the moment, so I'm based out at the School of Communications in okay. DCU. Um, I'm very excited about a project with Pat Inglesby uh, that I am produ- producing and editing. It's going to be directed by Seamus Murphy. Mm-hmm who has just finished his PJ Harvey film called uh, A Dog Called Money. And we have come together to collaborate on this film about Pat Inglesby, who younger listeners may not remember him from the television, but you might remember him from selling his poetry books on the street. It's about Pat Inglesby's journey from kind of TV icon and, and, and children's TV star to kind of street poet, folk poet um, over a period of 20 or 30 years. That's that's really exciting. Um, I have something else that I can't talk about that is very exciting. And then I'm also I'm in the early stages with another what I think will be a feature documentary that will be, I guess, sl- slightly more abstract than Losing Alaska. Okay. Um, what happens is you, you go to all these film festivals with your film and you see other things and you go, oh, that's possible. Yeah. Oh, that person got to make a film like that. Um, so I like to mix I like a mixture between formats so TV documentaries are great because uh, the criteria they're 52 minutes long and you have to tell a story um, for for what is a TV audience and and you know what that is and those are those are really good to get to do and then the feature docs get to be looser and you get to think in longer time frames so uh, there's a lot on at the moment which is good that's good to hear busy is good (laughs) that's perfect Tom so we'll leave it there thank you so much for chatting to us thank you 